0: Sister Vernell Murphy, she's improving, uh, but continues to need our prayer tonight. And then also, uh, there's a friend of mine. His name is Pat Curry. Is facing a very serious medical condition in his life uh, this coming week, and we want to pray that God would minister to him tonight. If you have a need, let it be known by the uplifting of your hand. God knows what that need is all about. Let's go to the Lord tonight in prayer, praying in faith, believing that he is going to minister. Jesus, we thank you tonight, first of all, for this opportunity to be in your house, together with people of light, precious faith. We ask, God, that our hearts and our minds would be open in this service, that we would be sensitive to the Word of God, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would use it, God, to empower our lives to be what you want us to be. We ask, God, that you would minister to each need that was represented here tonight. We pray that the will of God be done, the purpose of God would be accomplished in that need. We pray for a manifestation of your power and of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And tonight, God, we just want to worship you. We want to praise you and exalt you tonight. God, you are wonderful. You are holy. You are righteous. You are just. We love you and appreciate you tonight. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Turn around. Shake somebody's hand that's close to you. Smile real big and tell them it is fantastic to see you in the house of God tonight. And then you may be seated as you give. If you will uh, lend me your attention for just a few more moments, Uh, we want to uh, share our announcements with you. And uh, if you would pay attention to these, uh, it would benefit you. Uh, Please remember that if you have a prayer request, if you have a prayer request that you would like for uh, a church-wide prayer uh, called for, if you will email those, go to our website at www.graceupc.com. If you will click on the Contact Us tab and then click Prayer Request. And if you will fill out the information there, it will get done a lot faster than if you just try to text Sister Christy or Brother or Sister Murphy or myself or somebody else. So if you have a prayer request you would like to submit, you may submit it on our website at graceupc.com. Everybody ought to already have that in your favorites list. Just click the Contact Us tab and then click Prayer Requests. Fill it out. It will go straight Uh, to where it needs to go, and we would appreciate you doing that. Uh, Then tomorrow night, please remember church-wide prayer at 7.30 p.m. You don't want to miss it. Come out and pray. Uh, God has been doing some fantastic things in our church as a result of our prayer time. So come out tomorrow night and pray. And then Friday night, there's a youth rally. And what is so special about this is Brother Murphy announced this past Sunday, it's for the ages 12 to 15. And uh, they're uh, going Friday night, Brother Troy and Sister Carol will be taking care of that, will be uh, taking the church van out. So if you will arrange with them on the time to be here, the time to be here to pick the kids back up, uh, if you will arrange with them, we would appreciate that. There is a cost of $13, and this is covers the fellowship uh, after the youth rally. If you will give your children exact change, please. Do not give them a $100 bill and expect them to bring home the exact change. At least my mom would have never done that. So if you will remember that, we would appreciate that. That's Friday night. And then Saturday, Extraordinary Girls at 10 a.m. here in Classroom 1, if you're a part of that, please, please remember that incredible ministry. Aren't you happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise as Pastor comes.
1: you brother Merrill it's good to see all of you here and uh, always appreciate you for coming out on Wednesday night for Bible study and uh, we do do our best uh, to make your trip worthwhile and uh, but it's great to see all of you and uh, my didn't we have a time here this past Sunday wasn't the blessing of God rich here this past Sunday and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I want to encourage you to be here this coming Sunday to in invite folks with you Sunday, especially if you know uh, anybody that is that is currently unchurched, uh, backslidden, uh, if you would encourage them to come and be a part of our services coming Sunday. Um, I'm expecting just a, a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost this coming Sunday, and um, so if you would encourage them to do that. <coughs> And spend some time in prayer between now and this coming Sunday. And uh, ask the blessing, ask for the blessing of the Lord on our service this coming Sunday. And uh, also I'd like to reiterate prayer tomorrow night. I know Brother just announced it. But uh, any of you that can come tomorrow night at 7.30 to pray, um, I'd really like to make the focus of our prayer meeting tomorrow night, unless Brother Billy has something else. Uh, prepared, but uh, at least include this coming Sunday in the prayer time tomorrow night. If you do that, I would deeply appreciate it. Thank the Lord. Great to see you. Glad all of you are here. And um, I'm really pumped about our young folks going to the youth rally that's coming Friday night. And uh, it's the beginning of the next wave of our youth group. Uh, Talked to some of our parents about it, and they're struggling with some delusional issues in that, that I can't believe I have a child that's kind of old enough now to be in a youth group. So you might as well get warm up to that idea. You're getting old, so just pull a number and get in line with, with the rest of us. So, uh, but I am excited about, uh, excited about that group going, and I want to thank Brother Troy and Sister Kara for their willingness to uh, take this group of kids. Uh, to that youth rally, and I'm expecting to hear some good things as a result of it. I want to resume our our Bible study topic that we've been discussing on Wednesday nights, and um, I've been talking to you about biblical principles of holiness. If you were not here for the first two, I would encourage you, the first two parts of it, I would encourage you to go to our website and listen to those, because those two actually leads in to where I'm going from from those two, and um, so if you'd you'd take a little bit of time to do that, uh, I would appreciate it. What I have tried to do and what I will continue to attempt to do is perhaps tear down previous misunderstandings that you have had about this subject and present it to you in such a way that makes holiness livable, that you really can do it. And you can do it with a smile on your face. And you can do it um, and just pure love for the Lord. And uh, that's been our, our focus point. Uh, we've used the scripture. I'll not take time to read it tonight. But we'll use the scripture where the writer of Hebrews said to follow peace with all men. That's the first step. And holiness. which outwe- Without which no man shall see the Lord. And the premise for that is there's not one scripture in the bible that carries more weight than the other so the scripture in Hebrew says to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord jesus said to nicodemus unless you're born again you won't see the lord you can't be in, enter you can't enter to the kingdom of god so both the new birth following peace with all men and holiness all carry the same weight in the scripture If you do not obey them, then you will not see the kingdom of God. So let me begin tonight by asking you a question, and then I will answer it. What is holiness? What is holiness? Let me begin the answer to that question by saying, first of all, that God is absolutely pure. God is absolutely perfect. God is absolutely holy, so knowing that God has those attributes of being absolutely pure, perfect, and holy, how can we be holy? I want to say tonight in passing that anybody and everybody, from angels to saints, if there is anything holy about you, you have derived that holiness from God. Now, that might not sound like a real profound statement to you, but it is a profound statement. I think sometimes people live holiness standards for a certain segment of their lifetime, and they believe that qualifies them and escorts them to some destination called holiness. And now they're holy, whether God's holy or not, they are. I want everybody in this building to understand. I don't care where you go to church, it doesn't matter what your biblical beliefs are, if there's anything holy about you, you derive that from God. Never of yourself. Never by living a certain lifestyle. Lifestyle is not going to make you holy. Everybody to understand, if you have any aspect of holiness, it comes from God. God is the only living being that is holy by nature. No one else is. All holiness comes from God. So what is holiness? Back to the question. Holiness holiness is conforming to the nature, character, and will of God. As we become Christ-like, we are becoming holy. I want you to notice tonight that there's two key words <coughs> that expresses our relationship with this subject. And the Bible teaches both. Number one is separation. Everybody say separation. Number one is separation. The other is dedication. So holiness revolves around, a lot of it revolves around this concept. Holiness is separation from something and then, then being dedicated to something. Let me illustrate the point this way. The Old Testament Sabbath day. Remember the Bible said God commanded in the Old Testament to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. How do you do that? How can one day of the week be more holy than the other? A day is a day. It's a 24-hour period. Here's how you do it. There are six days you do your work. You do what you need to do. You do your work out of uh, six days a week. But the seventh day is to be different. It's to be separated from the other six and dedicated to God. That's how you do that. That's how the Bible teaches us to do that. Let me give you another illustration. You remember when Belshazzar used the holy vessels in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, and the hand appeared and was writing on the wall, um, and it made his knees smote one against the other? That would have been a cute video clip for America's Funniest Videos, wouldn't it? <clears throat> I thought it would have been cute, anyway. If y'all could just see your face sometimes. Let me rewind the tape. Boy, that would be cute for America's Funniest Videos, wouldn't it? I want to walk up and just do this in front of your eyes and tap on your forehead. Is anybody home? The lights appear to be on. And <clears throat> But when Belshazzar used those holy vessels and the hand appeared writing on the wall, the judgment of God came to him because those vessels had been separated from all the rest and had been dedicated to God. So we may not be perfect. Listen to pastor. There's people here tonight. I want you to hear this. and I'm going to ask you to listen all the way through this tonight. We may not be perfect. But we can be holy as long as we separate ourselves from sin and stay dedicated to God. Does everybody understand that principle? You say, well, that is really, really hard. No, it's not. And I'm going to show you why in just a minute. Let's talk about separation from for just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible said, First of all, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Most people apply that to marriage. I agree with that. But I believe it can be applied as other, in other, way, other ways as well. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. Not a dictator, a father. Talked about that several weeks ago. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So the Bible teaches that we are to be separate. And there is a principle for separation. The people of God must be different from the people of the world. If they're not, then what's the point in becoming a Christian? Everybody say amen. I understand and I realize today that I'm very much a lone ranger on this subject. Most churches don't believe this. They believe to become a Christian a real change is not required. As long as you make a profession of faith, you can still drink and smoke and curse and cheat. But I say, according to the Bible, when God comes into your life, you will make a change for the better. Everybody say amen. So the principle of separation says and states that there are some places a Christian shouldn't go. There are some things a Christian shouldn't do. There are some things a Christian shouldn't say and there's even some things that a Christian shouldn't wear. There are unclean things in the world and if you want to be close to God, then you would be willing to separate yourself from those things. This is the greatest illustration of separating from world and sin and so on that that I can give and it's the most reasonable and most easy to understand. I touched on this in our first presentation of this and I told you I'd come back to it. So here we are. One of the greatest examples of separation from and dedication to is marriage. Is there any spouses here tonight that's thankful for that concept as it applies to marriage? Billy and Michelle, y'all aren't? Oh, I'm just making sure, okay, just making sure. Uh, (laughs) Neither one raised their hand, I got nervous. No, we we don't want to have that kind of I'm teasing, y'all understand. I'm going to be a little comical now and then just to keep you awake and what have you. When you make a vow to your spouse on your wedding day, when you make a vow to your spouse on your wedding day, You are separating yourself from all others. And only to this person will you cling. Y'all remember hearing something like that when you got married? Can some of you remember back that far? Hundreds of years ago. Sometimes it feels like it, don't it? Brother Billy. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) You make a vow to your spouse. You make a promise. That you will separate yourself from all the rest and then dedicate yourself the rest of your life until death, do you part? Only to him or her that you're getting married to. Hopefully, it's the opposite sex. This concept, as it applies to marriage, is not radical. It's not unjust. There was a man asked me straight up, I'd like to come visit your church, but one thing I need to clarify. Do you teach rules at your church? Yeah. Well, I'm not coming. I don't want to go to a church where there's rules. And I wanted to ask him, but I didn't want to sound contentious. But I wanted to ask him, well, is there any rules in your marriage? Do you have any? Is there anybody here tonight that has any rules in your marriage? Raise your hand if you do. What are they? What is the number one rule of your marriage? Somebody just said it. What is it? Faithfulness? Oh, that's radical, Pastor. That's insane. I ain't never getting married if there's that kind of rules in marriage. I mean, if i got to separate myself, if I'm a man, and I have to separate myself from all the other beautiful women of the world, I ain't getting married well it's probably better that you don't if you're a woman I ain't separating myself from all them good looking men out there man ain't no way Jose and you don't have to be of the Latino descent to say Jose just rhymes and you get the point but that's not radical and neither is it legalism Anybody feel me? Well, I hate that statement. But I hope you know what I mean. If you move away from sin and the former life, and you move closer to God and your new life in Him, then I don't think separation from sin and worldliness is radical and rule-ridden and legalistic. I just think it means you love God. And I'll use the reciprocal. If you don't want to move away from sin and the world and things like that, then it can't mean but one thing. You really don't love God. That to saturate, I want you to marinate in that for a minute. Ashley, on y'all's wedding anniversary, has Brother Gary ever done anything just really nice and special? I hope you say yes, God, let her say yes. Make something up if you can't. You know, just I, I want to tell you something for these folks. When we discuss with them about literally honoring Jada here Sunday morning, which I'm still so proud of her, I don't know what to do. Well, she just ran right out and took care of that gift of that little bear and the balloons. And thank you for that. That was awesome. But anyway, to see, like, on the anniversary and Valentine's and stuff. Now, <coughs> we can enter into this philosophy of marriage two ways. We could say, first and foremost, that he is madly in love with this woman. And he's going to do those silly, ridiculous things. I'm going to send her flowers and candy and teddy bears and hearts, and I'm going to take her shopping and all that. He probably don't have to. If He's smart. (laughs) Anyway, that it helps. Every little bit helps. But he does it. Why? Because he... Now, you can think that's stupid, but that doesn't matter to him. He loves his wife, and he really don't care what you think. How he shows that love to her ain't none of your business. Y'all with me? Y'all on board? All right, let's approach this from another way. He could say that I've known of too many men that their marriages was just destroyed because... They didn't ever show their wife love and affection on Valentine's and anniversaries and birthdays and Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and whatever. (coughs) So just to make my marriage a little bit better and to keep the old nag happy, I guess I'll go buy her some flowers. That's awesome, ain't it? As I mentioned here before, Several Wednesday nights ago, and I'll mention it again, there there used to be a law in Louisiana. I need to investigate it. If some of you would, I'd I'd appreciate it if you'd just let me know because I keep forgetting. It's not important to me. I don't have issues along this line. Anyway, there used to be a law in the state of Louisiana. It was against the law to commit adultery. and If it could be proven, you could go to jail. I don't know if it's still true or not. But wouldn't it be just a real romantic thing, just really... A real warm and fuzzy thing for Gary to leave one morning and go to work and kiss Ashley goodbye and say, oh, by the way, I'm not going to cheat today because I don't want to go to jail. That's a great marriage, ain't it? It'd be real easy to do that. When you you got married, and I I find it interesting that the vast majority of married couples have never complained about the rules and parameters of marriage that you don't call your wife on the way home and say, Honey, I've been thinking about that old girlfriend in, in high school, and I'm going to go visit her tonight. I'll see you tomorrow night. Huh? Have you, any of you men ever tried that? Raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. It wouldn't work too well. There is some severe rules. If you don't think there are some very stringent rules in marriage, break one of them. Now, you may not rehearse them, and your spouse may not remind you 20 times a day like pastors feel like they have to remind their church people all the time about things. But you understand when you say, I do, you're done. You understand that marriage is a great institution, and when you get married, you've been institutionalized. And there are some rules, and there are some parameters. But I don't hear anybody complaining about that. Man, I wish I could go cheat on my wife tonight. Man, it's just really aggravating being married. You never hear anybody say that. If you do, there's something wrong with them. Why is it so acceptable in the realm of marriage that you can express your love to your spouse however you want to and if people think you're stupid so be it but that's your spouse and you love them man why is it so ridiculous for people to live for God in real crazy ways just because they love Him that's it what's wrong with that holiness involves separation Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 keep that illustration in mind I'm going to keep bouncing back to it having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness and the fear of God let me introduce an, a, another concept to, to some of you folks that you may not have heard and I don't say that sarcastically or, or arrogant but you know that there's as much or more inside holiness as there is outside holiness. I think everybody ought to say amen to that. The Bible teaches very clearly in Galatians chapter 5 that there are sins of the flesh, but there are also sin of the spirit. The flesh would be the outside, the spirit would be the inside. The sins of the flesh, and we're familiar with these, and I'll just list, give you a couple of just the very most common. Sins of the flesh include adultery, fornication, drunkenness, murder. But just as deadly, or even more deadly, in my opinion, are sins of the spirit, which some of them are hate, lust, envy, Jealousy, pride. I want to say very carefully here tonight, because there's people here that I have a lot of respect for, and what have you, and we had very similar upbringing. There's there's a lot of overlap, but I, I remember growing up in an environment where, uh, man, it was okay to, to hate somebody or to lust after somebody or to be envious or have a lot of jealousy issues or to be real prideful but my word man if your outside man look good you were holy and I just reached a saturation point with that concept and it started bothering me real bad especially after I got into ministry and I want everybody in this building to understand it doesn't give it, it, it isn't worth 10 cents to me how wonderful you look on the outside as far as holiness standards go. If you're not right on the inside, you're nothing more than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And I want everybody to understand that point. It does you no good to look good on the outside. Jesus referred to the Pharisees as whited sepulchers. You're beautiful, painted all up, beautiful on the outside. But on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And this is where I regret. And I'm going to say the United Pentecostal Church, and that's all I know. I was born and raised in UPC. But all of the lifetime that I can remember is the accentuation was made on outward holiness. I didn't hear a lot about inward holiness. I didn't hear a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. The writer of Hebrews said to follow peace with all men. And if you're toting a grudge against somebody right now, or you want to get revenge, or you hate somebody, or you're bitter towards somebody, I don't care how holy you are here tonight on the outside. Now, we went through a long segment here last year on on forgiveness and let's get our heart right with God and let's get the inside straight. I knew this time was coming, and I hope you have responded to that. I hope you responded to it appropriately. But I'll have you understand that holiness is inside, then outside. Inward holiness is the greater priority. When you come to church and God cleanses the inside, that after a while, the outside lifestyle and habits will change. If it doesn't, then the outward lifestyle will eventually corrupt the inside. I've seen it all of my life. There's people here tonight, I really believe if I could set you down, you would agree. I've seen it all of my life where people that look so beautiful and holy on the outside, are so full of venom and poison. I could go on and on. Folks, it is imperative. David prayed, create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit, O God. It is important that we keep the focus of our life to the inside man because if the inside man is right, the outside will be right. Everybody say amen. Let's go back to the marriage. If you're not faithful in marriage, sooner or later your spouse is going to start picking up on it. No matter how hard you try to hide it, they'll, they'll pick up on it. They know the inside isn't right. I don't care what you do on the outside. The inside's not right. So most religious groups don't emphasize outward holiness. Years ago they did, and I'll give you an example. John Calvin, who was a Presbyterian, he forbade all kinds of jewelry in Geneva, Switzerland. This was years ago in the late 1800s. All the jewelers in Geneva went out of business because of such a mighty, sweeping revival. You know what they did? They started making watches. Geneva, Switzerland to this day is one of the most famous places for making watches. It shows how strict he was as a Presbyterian and it impacted that entire city. That jewelry makers became watchmakers. I don't know what these folks do that preach against watches as jewelry. But I am glad Calvin didn't go that far because I do appreciate being able to see what time it is every once in a while. But so many religious groups don't teach outward holiness anymore, and Pentecostals is one of the few that do. We still teach the cleansing of the flesh and spirit. Some of you men will relate to this if you've been married very long. It's kind of like the lady that goes to her closet and says, I have nothing to wear. How many of you husbands have ever heard your wife say that and then walk into the closet and just see bare, empty, clothes rods with nothing hanging in there? We'll talk about it after church. We'll take up an offering. Um What she's really saying is, I don't have anything to wear that goes along with my mood or my attitude right now. Somehow, what she is looking for is something that represents what she's feeling on the inside. And somehow, that clothing represents on the outside what she's feeling on the inside. So holiness does affect the outside because that's part of us. You know the bride at a wedding. I've never been to a wedding, and I've been to hundreds of them all of my life. I've never had to just turn around and ask somebody, now, which one of those is a bride up there? I would ask you if you've ever been to a wedding, but there's going to be one knothead that's going to raise you. Yeah, I have. I couldn't tell her who she was. You know the bride at a wedding in two ways. Listen very carefully. Number one, she's the happiest person in the building. She is happy. She's happy. I've been to a couple of weddings recently. You won't know, so don't try to figure it out. Where the bride was looked like she was out of her mind, insane happy. A smile that her face wouldn't hold. But the groom wasn't on board, man, and I just bowed my head and prayed a little prayer. I hope he's happy on the inside, man, and his face just hadn't woke up to it yet. If not, they've got a long, tall mountain to climb. Anyway, she's the happiest person in the building. Does everybody agree with that? You can also tell who the bride is by what she's wearing. And in my opinion, most of the time, <laughs> if I had to wear all that junk to get married, that way, a dress that goes from here to the sound booth long, and you've got to have eight people to carry it. I've seen more brides trip coming up the steps, and it takes eight hands to... never seen somebody so happy in a straitjacket. <coughs> but you can tell they're happy, And you can tell by what they're wearing. So neither can we overlook inward holiness. We can't say just because we dress right, we are saved. Can't say that. You can't say because I don't drink, smoke, curse, dip, chew, etc. Then I must be okay. Inward holiness, in my opinion, is far more important than outward holiness. If the inside is right, the outside will get right. And just because the outside might be right doesn't mean the inside is right. Dress alone does not make you a Christian. You still have to pray. You still have to fast. You still have to study your Bible. You still have to witness. You still have to pay your tithes. You still have to be faithful to the house of God and a long list of other things. Listen very carefully. If you hate people or if you're full of prejudice, you are a long ways from holiness. You would be upset if one of the saints came to church drunk or high. But what if somebody came in Sunday full of hate and envy? Is that okay? Have we learned to accept those things? I've heard people classify people as, well, that person's bitter. Don't fool with them. Every time you go talk to them, you're just going to get something horrible out of them. Don't go talk to that person, they're always depressed. Don't go talk to that person, they're always, don't go, to that. and we put up with this inside stuff wrong with people, but buddy, if somebody comes to church dressed in a way that we don't think they ought to be dressed, oh my goodness, did you see sister so and so, I hate that. what? She's been full of hate for the past 20. Does that matter? Isn't it funny how we've learned to accept the inward sin of people and even our own? But in our Pentecostal world, as long as you look right, I don't know if I want this to go on our website or not, isn't it? It's easy to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are holy when we only have the appearance of being holy. So, let's talk about pursuing holiness. Listen very carefully. We are all trying to perfect holiness in our life every day more and more. Remember, and I said this several weeks ago, Holiness isn't a destination. You don't reach a point and then all of a sudden, I made it. I'm holy now. There's people that believe that. And you may not say it that way, but you think it. It's a subliminal thing in your subconscious that goes off that I'm holy now. (laughs) I am qualified to fulfill any position in church because I am holy. I have arrived. We think that. Holiness is not a destination. Holiness is a lifestyle. Have y'all ever known of anybody that got married just for the sake of getting married run around and say they, they're married? I, I know a couple of people that did that, literally. A, a fellow that I know, pretty good friends with him, was getting kind of old, getting up in the years and never been married. So put on a to-do list. I'm getting married next year. And he did. Now he's married working out so far, I guess, from all appearances, (laughs) from however much you can judge from that anymore, but no more than you would appreciate being married to someone because you were their ultimate destination of the following year. Our relationship with God is not a destination. You live that every day, man. You love God every day. And if you can be more like him every day, then so be it. Holiness isn't a destination. But we're perfecting holiness every day more and more. All of us will relate to this illustration. I'll use my kids. I can't vouch for yours. I wasn't there. (laughs) But when my kids were born, they were perfect. They lost that perfection eventually, but when they were born, they were perfect babies. They couldn't walk, they couldn't talk, but they were perfect. Huh? Is anybody following me? They were perfect. Now, Casey is 31, 30. She will be 31. If she were still unable to walk or talk, if she still did not have any teeth and was not potty trained, at the age of 30, she could no longer be classified as a perfect baby. If your kids were still in that condition at their current age, would you consider them perfect as time goes on we expect growth we expect maturity so also it is with the child of god i've heard new converts curse But that's a new baby but if five ten years from now he's still cursing there's a problem we all expect we all expect growth and maturity so here's the question that i've been leading up to with this point how does god judge these things how does god judge how does god judge who's mature and who's not who's still a baby but who's been in relationship with him long enough to know the difference. I want to tell you what, And asking the question, how does God judge, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I hope all of you will say it along with me, and if you really mean it, then start living it. But I know I'm not the judge. I don't think you are. Can we quit acting like it? A, yes, Brother Murphy, I will do my best is a good, appropriate answer to that question. But if I were the judge, there are people that I would have zapped a long time ago. There are some people I probably would have zapped last week. Perhaps there are some people you would have liked to have zapped. If I'm the judge, boom, you're out of here. Sometimes, listen to Pastor. Sometimes it takes people a lot longer to understand the way and things of God than it does others. And a person's spirituality is between them and God, between them and the Word of God, and even between them and the pastor. But never between them and a fellow churchgoer. So if somebody ain't living like you think they should, tell God about it. And not everyone else, even on Facebook. It's the biggest reason I quit doing Facebook. I just got fed up with a stupidness that people will reduce themselves to. to and they're hiding behind a computer screen. <laughs> Somebody was talking the other day on Facebook. It was the first thing I saw. After not looking at Facebook in months, this was the first thing I saw and I turned it off. I ain't been back on it since. I thought, well, I'll warm up to the idea and see if it's people's calm down. No, they haven't. Somebody used the word abominable and misspelled it. Instead of starting it with an A, they started with an O. It was Obama. Obama. I don't know if they had President Obama on their mind. Or I don't know what was going on. That was just a joke. But here's what our attitude should be always. I do what I know is pleasing to God to the best of my ability and I refuse to judge others. We have to consider where people have come from. They may be on track with their growth and maturity. They may be on track with their growth and maturity and we're sitting here with the something in our hearts that's been there for years. I've known of new converts to pass up seasoned saints when it comes to maturity and understanding. I want to tell you, and I've used this illustration many times before, and I'll use it again. There's a difference between having the Holy Ghost 35 years than having the Holy Ghost one year 35 times. There's a big difference between the two. In God's sight, the new convert may be more holy than I am because they're still growing and I'm not. So don't tell others how to live, but rely on the power of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of a Christian example. And we cannot stop new converts from progressing. We can't stop them from progressing, but we must not allow ourselves to go backwards. Will it really matter when we get to heaven to hear God say that we are too saved? What if some of the things we teach about holiness... What if it's not applicable? I still don't know that it would keep you out of heaven. But what if they are applicable? And it will. Are you willing to run that risk? I've had people look me dead square in the eye and and virtually say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Better know what you're doing. (coughs) For those who look for shortcuts in living a holiness lifestyle, the damage usually shows up in your kids. And where you may be able to salvage your relationship with God at some later time, the damage done to them is very seldom repaired. And they very seldom make a comeback. So let's talk a few minutes about dedication. This is separation from, let's talk about dedication to. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you. I implore you i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercy of god not based on rules and regulations not based on parameters not based on a dictator type pastor in a church with rules but he said in his presentation to this this is what he's talking about he said if you do this based on the mercy of god consider how merciful god has been to you is there too much he can ask in return of you That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So it's not just separation from, it's dedication to. Dedication means purpose. Dedication means reason. Dedication means cause. It's what are you doing? Dedication answers what are you doing. The word present means to give yourself, dedicate, and consecrate. I beseech you. It's not thou shalt or thou shalt not, but it's a, I implore you, I urge you, I want you, I want to see you do it, God is saying. And you do it for this reason. You do it because of my mercy to you. You do it because I've been merciful to you. You do it because I have been merciful with you your entire life. Don't you see what God has already done? How he saved you, how he forgave you, how he put your life back together again, oftentimes even your marriage. Delivered you from worldly and sinful habits? Don't you value and treasure this awesome new life that God has given you? Who can argue with that? To look somebody in the eye and say, well, Ronnie, you're living a holy life. You can say, because God was merciful to me. This is the least I can do in return. He put my life back together. He put my marriage back together. His spirit has impacted my children. It's impacted my home, my job my future, my everything. This is the least that I can do for God. And I will do for Him no matter what you think is crazy or not. And I'll do it because I love Him. And that's the reason I do crazy things for my spouse is because I love Him, And I really don't care what you think about it. I'm still going to do it because I love God. Amen. It's the only reason you need. You don't have to become a biblical theologian and explain 1 Corinthians 7 and Deuteronomy 22, who cares? You explain, have to explain to people through some kind of rule book why you are so in love with your spouse. You say, I love my wife. If I want to send her 10,000 roses on Valentine's Day, what concern is that to you? So I may look different than you do. I may dress different than you do. I may go places you don't go and I may not go places you do go. But it's not because I feel better and because my pastor dictates that I do that and if I go to that church, I have to do that. That's none of the reason you do it. You do it because you love God. That's it. That's it. So since I cherish, love, and respect what God has done for me, then I'm willing to do everything He wants me to be. You're not free to sin. You're not free to sin. You are free from sin. So the freedom we enjoy as Christian people is not free to sin. You are free from sin or not to sin. So dedicating yourself to God is not freedom from the principle of the law. You're not free from the principle of the law. Let me explain it this way. Has anybody ever gotten fed up with the law of gravity? And I'm just tired of my feet being on the ground all the time. I just want to float. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get the ladder, and I'm going to defy the law of gravity. I'm going to climb to the very peak of my roof, and I'm going to show gravity and jump You know what they say, it's not the fall that gets you. It's just that real sudden stop at the bottom it will get you every time. Gravity will kill you. Jumping off the building and saying I'm free of gravity, that's not freedom. That's stupid. Huh? Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's not free to go do what you want and interpret the Bible like you want to. That's freedom and the parameter of a law that keeps you sane, that keeps you healthy, that keeps you normal, that keeps you in love with God, and that will take you to heaven. That's what that means. A living sacrifice means one willing to live, not die, a living sacrifice. Not die, but live for Him. Ask yourself, what about Calvary? What if Jesus would have looked at the golden rule book of the Bible and say, I ain't doing that. I don't care what the Father wants me to do, I ain't doing that. Which is your reasonable service. We're the ones. Understand this people. We're the ones that's gonna get the best part of this. We're the ones that's gonna come out smelling like a rose. Be not conformed to this world. One translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. We don't live according to the world's standards. Be ye transformed. It takes a continual renewing in the Holy Ghost, staying close to God, in tune with God, and so on. John said in 1 John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I said that a little while ago. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life... It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. It's not talking about people. The world is not talking about people. It's a system. It's an ideology. It's a concept. The world is not for spiritual things. The world is not for purity and cleanliness. We continually fight this battle with our young people. Uh, I would love to have our parents on board in that battle. There are some places that we don't really think our young people should go and things they should do. And our parents jump up and down about it and say, Well, I think they should. I don't. And I've been down that road with my own and with countless others. I promise you I've been down that road more than you have. Verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the eye, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh means desiring carnal sinful things. Sexual immorality over the things of God, the lust of the eye, is things that appeals to the eye. The pride of life is career and money and ego and self-will and so on. All sin is one. Every sin on the planet fits in one of these three categories. And the lifestyle that we teach here at Grace is designed to help us avoid, to help us avoid undue and unprovoked temptation in these areas. It's a buffer. It's not an isolator, it's an insulator. So that's why we teach here at Grace to live what is modest, moderate, and appropriate. So here's the idea of concept. What is the most important thing in your life right now that would apply to 100 years from now? What's the most important thing in your life that will be applicable to you 100 years from now? Let's back it up. Why don't we say 80? say 75 years. Let's split it. 75 years from now where will most of you be 75 years from now if the Lord doesn't return in rapture? Most of us, according to the law of averages, will have gone bye-bye. Adios amigo. Kick the bucket. breathed your last breath. You will be enjoying your pre need funeral arrangements one hundred years from now. You will have a tombstone firmly planted at your head, six feet up. So what's important? What's important a hundred years from now? What you're wearing right now? Is that important? Probably by the time most of us die it won't fit anyway. <clears throat> Just a thought. What's important? Your car? What about your job a hundred years from now? Is it going to matter? There's a priority. And it drives me every minute of every hour of every day. I want to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what drives me. And I'll do whatever I have to do to make that happen. And you know what? I've come to the conclusion, I've shared this with Brother Merrill, that I I actually think Jesus likes me kind of. I think he'd really like to have me in heaven with him. So I'm going to live the best I can to make that happen. So you can roll the dice on what you think is applicable in the Bible or not, but I'm not. I'm going to live it. Number one, I love him. Number two, I want to spend eternity with him. John said, First John two 17, I'm bringing this to a conclusion. The world passes away. The world passes away, he said, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God, will abide forever. So will the house you live in or the car you drive or the job you now have or how attractive you are, will it really matter 100 years from now? Will it? Y'all have to sit there and stare at me. It's an easy question to answer. Will it? What about your business, Brother Gary, 100 years from now? Is it going to matter? Let's go right across the line here. Everybody, works a business. Brother Wayne, 100 years from now, the cookies you deliver every day and stuff. Is it going to matter? Brother Brian, your business, will it matter a hundred years from now? It's not. Does everybody understand? Our priority, our first first priority is to do whatever it takes to please God. And I'm not going to argue with the Bible. And I'm not going to argue with the pastor. And I'm not going to debate these things. If the Bible said it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it the best I can. Not to be holy but because I want to please God. So, let me conclude, stand with me tonight. Let me conclude with this little question. I hope all of you have gotten what I, the point I'm trying to make tonight in this Bible study. It's principles of holiness. You'll notice I've spent three Wednesday nights on this subject, and I've never said one thing yet concerning our ill-fated rules that we've made icons out of. I'm trying to give you an understanding of why you do that. It's just simply bottom line in a nutshell because you love Jesus. Now, we will do the major things required to stay (laughs) happily married. Boy, that is a one hot chick over there, buddy. But she's watching everything I do. That is one good looking hunk of a man. I'm saying this is a woman over there. he's got his eye on everything I do (coughs) so we can do the big stuff brother Troy that will keep us married those big major rules like adultery what if you get in a financial bind and the hubby says honey you know what I'm tired of being in the reds I think I'm going to go rob Chase Bank today what do you think that's a big sin man That's big stuff. And you know, if you go do those things, Brother Billy's going to come after you, and then your spouse is coming after you. You know, I've had nightmares sometimes of just getting, doing something really stupid, and Brother Billy be the one to arrest me. That'd be really embarrassing. Pastor, you're under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you can, anything you say can, will you? But what about the little stuff in marriage? You know, I have done very little marriage counseling, and I don't do much of it. If I can help it, I don't do it. I don't do a whole lot of marriage counseling over adultery. I do marriage counseling. Most of my marriage counseling is over compatibility issues, those little stupid stuff that gets on your nerves that you do twenty hundred times a day. And the, the spouse just gets fed up with it. I can't be married to this person. They get on my nerves. They're under my skin. I hate them. They kick their shoes off in the middle of the living room floor and they leave dirty dishes in the sink and they don't mow the grass and they don't, you know. It's all these relatively simple things. It's not the major immoralities and major transgressions that oftentimes cause marital issues. It's the little stuff that becomes so important. And the same is true with God. I think all of us understand the commandments of thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal, those aren't issues. But the little things are. And it's the little things that we just don't want to do. But it's the little things that if you will do them, says how much you love God so loud and so clear. Okay, honey, if it'll make you happy, it don't matter if I leave to me if I leave my shoes in the middle of the floor. But if you'll make if it'll make you happy, I'll quit doing it. I wonder what God would think about us tonight if we quit trying to live our lives based on how we think it ought to be and start living our lives for Him how He thinks it ought to be and to live our lives in a way that would make Him happy. I'm I'm closing. I promise you I'm closing. But somehow, and I, I lay the the responsibility at the pulpit. We've all done it as preachers. But we all promote this idea that Christian people need to be happy. I'm going to talk a little bit about that Sunday morning. We need to have the joy of the Lord in our heart and so on. And I agree with that. But has it ever crossed your mind that God needs to be happy in this relationship too? It's not just about me. It's about Him. So what can I do with the rest of my life it would make God really happy with me. It'll make him want to fix you a steak dinner. It'll make God so happy he'll fix you some good boy crawfish, man. It'll make God so happy he'll come detail out your car. That's what we do in marriage. I'm going to go detail the wife's car for her. I do that once in a while for Sister Murphy, that little red car she had. I'll go detail the thing out, and invariably she'll come run out there and help me. I'm not married to you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But all them little things, what can you do starting tonight? What can you change about yourself starting tonight that would show that you love God and that would really make Him happy with you? Let's thank the Lord for His Word tonight. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the Word of God that is that ever-abiding, consisting... Lamp to our feet, light to our pathway. Tells us where we are, and it tells us where we're going. God, and I pray that you would speak to Grace Church tonight. That we could truly be a church that makes you happy. Not in just the way we worship, but in the way we live. That you could truly be happy with our lives, with our lifestyle. Help us to love you, God. And as we love you more and more, help us to be willing to show it more and more. We thank you for these things. Abide with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. Run around the building and shake hands and smile to someone. and Tell them you like them. Tell them they look nice, even if it's not true. Make them feel good. God bless you tonight.